Welcome to another episode of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. I am Pastor Ken Jones of Glendale Baptist Church. I'm joined by our regular co-host. We have Pastor Aldo Leon of Reconciled Church and uh, Jose Prado, Christ Family Church, and David Menendez from Tamiami Baptist Church. We are four local pastors here in South Florida. We get together um, every now and then, what is once a week or so, and discuss various aspects of Reformed theology. Now, recently, we have been talking about the ecumenical creeds. And what's meant by the ecumenical creeds are those creeds that were that defined certain aspects of the Christian faith that were held to by most of the, the churches. They are ecumenical in the sense that at the very least, it's a, these are statements on various aspects, whether it's the Apostles' Creed, summaries of the Christian faith, whether it's the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, which we've uh, gone over here recently. And these creeds are very helpful, and we do appreciate any feedback that you have. And we've had people who have uh, talked about how helpful it's been to talk about uh, some of these creeds and the part that they play in making sure that we are clear and careful on certain doctrinal formulations. Now, what we want to do today is begin a discussion on the Chalcedonian formula or um, what is it called, the definition, definition. Uh, the Chalcedonian definition of the faith. So, David, would you give us a little historical backdrop for the Council of Chalcedon, which was, what, 451? Yeah, four, 451. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the background comes even from the prior century. I think okay. we ended in our last uh, a meeting together where we were talking about the Council of Nicaea and Constantinople where two things were delineated, that Christ was consubstantial with the Father. Mm-hmm. And then... In now, th- when, you, when you say consubstantial, yeah. what we're talking about is he is of the same substance, which would be homoousius, right. versus a different substance, heterousius. Right. So that was the battle of... Or similar. Or similar, similar. which was an aftermath of of Nicaea. So that uh, we close the fourth century with the the three to one council of Constantinople, where through Athanasius and the help of the Cappadocian fathers, the doctrine of the Trinity has been defended, delineated, protected. Um, And it has been said that Christ is consubstantial with the Father and consubstantial with man mm. as well of the same um also shares humanity okay. of the same essence with man now that presents a problem because how do you then have two natures right in one person uh and um you know i guess it presented a problem for the church and one of the leaders uh, in constantinople by the name of nestorius came up with the view that um, there is a union in Christ, but that union of his humanity and divinity also has the union of two persons, mm-hmm. of two persons. Uh, and this was reminiscent for another sea, the Sea of Alexandria and Rome, uh, of adoptionism. So let's, let's back up a moment. Why is the language of two persons problematic 
when it comes to talking about two natures? Because some people great. might not make a distinction yeah. between nature and person. Sure. That's a great question because it, 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 this ties with uh, salvation. At the end of the day, behind their Christology are concerns of salvation. How is it? If God came to save, mm-hmm. right, came down and in Christ to save, um, and he became incarnate to save us, mm-hmm. uh, then the question became with Nestorius that there's two separate persons and his divinity is not really affected mm. by in his humanity, present, mm-hmm. really united in union with his humanity, mm-hmm. then the issue of self-salvation are twist it a bit okay um so that's basically you know a little bit of the background in terms of uh, nestorius who eventually gets uh, condemned in uh 431 the council of ephesus Mm -hmm. which leads to all kinds of uh political problems and theological problems between the school of alexandria and antioch Mm -hmm. that is not resolved there these two schools had always been at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there then, because of all the strife and the turmoil, there is a need for a council that will settle then these issues of Christology that have to do with two natures. Is it two natures and two persons? Is it two natures right. and one person? And how does that happen? Well, uh, you mentioned Nestorius. Yeah. There were a couple of other uh Heresies, and yeah. and we want to be fair on this because, with whether it's Nestorius, whether it's Arius or Polyneros, Eutychus, what these guys were trying to do, they were trying to preserve, as best they could, their understanding of Scripture, yeah. and preserve their their concept of deity. Yeah. But in doing so, they were erroneous. So we talk about uh, Nestorius. Who are some of the others that are refuted well, bef- in, in the Chalcedonian formula in particular? Well, well before Nestorius, you had Apollinaris, mm-hmm. you know, which actually was refuted in the, in the Council of Const- Constantinople. Constantinople, yes. Uh, and, uh, I mean, his, his belief or what he taught was that Jesus was not truly fully human. Uh, you know, he, he didn't truly have a, a, full, a, a fully human nature. Uh, now, and, and let's kind of explain why that would be problematic from his from his perspective. Because hold in mind that the, many in the first century were influenced by what is called Greek Gnosticism. And in classic Gnosticism, the idea was that all matter is inherently evil. So they could not conceive of deity becoming that which is inherently evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he thought that uh, his divine, uh, Jesus' divine nature has displaced his human nature, almost like, uh, you know, a God taking over a man, you know, and that man no longer being right. a man, you know. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's very problematic um, um, due to the reality that uh, sin came into the world through a man. Mm-hmm. And salvation must come through the world through a man. You know? So, so with uh, Apollinarius, that we're talking about the one nature being absorbed by the other. Yes. So that you don't have two natures coexisting 
and one person. Which in their view, it was sort of like the healing that was supposed to take place. The healing of? The healing of uh, the human nature, basically. Right. Uh, in the view of the Alexandrian school, uh, it was a view that was strongly influenced by this idea of divinization, mm-hmm. you know, um, glorification, where the the divinity of, of the sun then heals, absorbs, right. and imparts then glory to our persons, our humanity. Mm. So it was kind of in line with their view, their ultimate view of salvation in terms of theosis, of, of, of divinization. That was their their main thrust. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's, it's important to note that uh, Christology and soteriology are always going hand in hand. So it, what you just said, it reminds me of a lot of the way that Christ is seen in the Pentecostal movement. like, And they have this view of Christ... Um, to be hyper spiritual, hmm. um, which then leads to conversion and justification to be kind of God's nature being communicated to us. Right, and, and so God's God's divinity yeah. hijacks, you know, whatever is human about Christ. Therefore, that leads us to understand conversion, justification to be God's nature hijacks, and kind of like fills in the glove of our humanity and just those things are always going together yeah so there are practical implications uh in terms of our faith and practice if we are not clear on this because some might might argue what difference does it make yeah why are we having this conversation why do they have this conversation (laughs) whenever whenever the whenever the deity of jesus either implicitly or explicitly hijacks the humanity of jesus the historical uh, emphasis of Christianity kind of just gets thrown out the bus. You know, it's like, well, if it's not really a a true man, therefore, what this creaturely historical reality of Jesus doesn't become so important. It's more Jesus entering into my present and my heart. And it's just this, all those things. It's just one will always lead you to the other. Mm. You know, you can't escape. Well, and and even when in keeping with the scriptures and the yeah. promises of salvation from the very first promise of Proto-Euangelion, Genesis 3.15, the implication, if not the most explicit statement, is that the Savior would be of the seed of the woman, f- referring to his human nature. That's right. And throughout the Old Testament, the promise is that God would raise up as he says in Deuteronomy, from among your brethren, That's right. a a prophet. Yeah, and so the the promises of a savior are always one who is like us. And then, of course, if we or and, and sharing in our nature, and of course, if we understand the the concept of headship, federal headship, yeah. hmm. it is necessary for the one to be like the one that they represent. That's right. So we we there is an importance in and I, I look. I, one thing that I love is I, I love uh, Jesus's own uh, his his favorite title by which he he called himself, which was the Son, son of Man. Of man. You yeah, know, I mean that's you know he he always called himself the Son of Man. By the same token, uh, so that Apollinarius was condemned in 381. Mm-hmm. That was the first Council of Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Then um, then we have the next Council in Ephesus, where Nestorius is condemned. And that goes to the other in the other direction, right? Which their view, the the Antio- Antiochian school, 
their soteriological view was more moral mm. and ethical. So much so, and this is an interesting a bit of history, that they gave Pelagius, which that controversy was raging at the end of the 4th century into the 5th century, they give Pelagius in the regions of Palestine and Syria, which is the Antiochian school, mm -hmm. they give him safe harbor mm. because there seems to be a certain affinity there. And, and this is something that Nestorius would say, that the reason there needs to be two persons is because empowered by this union, uh, the person of the son, the son of men, will be empowered by the son of God. Hence, their Logos man Christology, so that he can obey, mm -hmm. so that he can follow God's commandments and be, by the use of free will, fulfill mm -hmm. salvation and become our example. So that we may receive mm. that grace, so that we may do the same thing. So here is another view that goes to the other. So a more right. active, a more right. ethical, as opposed to the Alexandrian, more passive, perhaps more sacramental, mm -hmm. more mystical. You know what's amazing to me is that in all these councils, you have men that were part of these councils uh, that at a certain point affirmed what came out of the of the council, the creeds mm -hmm. that came out of the councils. And that yet later on moved away from yeah. what they affirmed during the council. Yeah. So like, for instance, uh, so even after uh, you have the Ephesian, uh, the Council of Ephesus, right? Uh, you have, uh, is it Eutychus? Eutychus, yeah. You know, he, he moves. So, so he's there. Yeah. Yeah. He affirms this. Yep. And then he moves away 10 years later and, uh, you know, <laughs> and starts teaching the same thing that they just. I think that's that's know. super Contempor contemporarily relevant because I think we all we t a lot of times assume too much about pre-existing orthodoxy, and so because you have some pre-existing orthodoxy that somehow gives you some, I don't know, like permanent Disney pass in the church to legitimacy, but pre-existing confessions of orthodoxy can be followed up in the same generation, same decade with something totally off. <laughs> and mm. it's just, it's not enough to, to have confessed something. It's, it's, we confess the same thing always. And when you depart from that confession of, of orthodoxy, your pre-existing confessions of orthodoxy don't matter. Well, this is one of the things that we want to do is as we shift from the ecumenical creeds, because these, these creeds deal with specific issues. What we are really moving towards are the broader theological statements, which are your confessions of faith, which are grounded and in the, the creeds, but they are a fuller fleshing out of those, not just the creeds, but other aspects of our faith that may or may not be covered by the creeds themselves. But at least this is the, this is the beginning point where when we talk about Jesus, and that's one of the, uh, I think, one of the beauties of the, the creeds, they give us clearer articulations on what we believe about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, that he was the son of God, he was the son of man. And what does that mean, not just for philosophical argument, but as it relates to our very salvation? I just wanted to observe that we see in these councils and meetings and synods, the messiness 
of church. Yeah. Because sometimes people have this yeah. highly exalted, over-idealized view of the church. And when you look at that Council of Ephesus, that was a messy affair. Mm. And and they came, you know, the patriarchs that came together from Rome, Leo, and John of Antioch, and then the ones that were fighting Sarah of Alexandria versus Nestoria. They have political, mm-hmm. yeah. certain sure. political motivations as well. But through it all, God is working. Yeah, to to come uh, at some incredible enunciations of faith mm-hmm. that are biblical, and we should point out the formula of reunion, yeah. which is what yeah. allowed Nestorius to be condemned in certain peace yeah. to coexist at the time. Well, one mm-hmm. of one of the, the statements that they came up with at Chalcedon was when we talk about the two natures of Christ, they are without separation without confusion. Now, why is that statement that the two natures of Christ are without separation and without confusion? Why why is that a a necessary and healthy distinction? You talking about like theologically or just historically? Yeah, theologically. Yeah, well, if if Jesus' two natures are not fully part of of his acts as a person— uh, and they're separated, then the person of Christ did not do something as God, so therefore doesn't have infinite value. And then the, the human Christ didn't do something yeah. as a true human. So when the person of Christ is separated from both of those natures, which are essential, everything that Jesus did must be fully human to be substitutional and to be truly representation of us. And yet at the same time, it must be truly divine to be infinitely valuable and so if you separate the natures from the one person and they become two people, all of a sudden, the, G- the, the Jesus person doesn't do um, divinely significant things of eternal value. And all of a sudden, the, the God, the, the divine Jesus person doesn't do things of, of human significance. And so everything, that, everything that's true to each nature must be communicated or 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 a part of the the person of Christ's actions lest you lose um what's proper to each nature either the infinite value of mm-hmm. his eternality or the um the the human representational re- replacing substituting reality of his human nature so you you can't you separate those all of a sudden you separate the significance of what he does as a person in light of those things I'm, I'm kind no, of ra- no, rambling that, no it, it it makes perfect sense in other words that if if we lose sight of the fact that Jesus never stopped being divine, therefore eternal. So his everything that he does is of eternal value. Uh, he could not die eat an eternal death or mm-hmm. or his death could not have eternal value if he were not himself eternal. Yeah. So but in his his humanity has to be a true humanity because as the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus came, he didn't come to give aid to angels, but he had to be like us mm-hmm. in every point except without, without sin. Mm-hmm. So therefore, Jesus had to be as human as Adam mm-hmm. and as human as everyone that he represents in order to be our righteousness. That's right. Right. And it's interesting. We are, you know, as I ha- having this conversation with you guys, we're bringing here to bear our reformational insights. 
Sure. So that's so interesting, which are biblical insights. That's, mm-hmm. that's where we confess unbelief. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, historically, for them theologically, yeah. their insights were going a different route. Yeah. So it was more metaphysical, ontological right. Jesus that is healing us. You know, through sacraments, you know, through faith, through the ethical empowerment of grace so that we may, uh, do the commands of God. So, uh, to them, if, if, if Jesus is not, his divinity does not predominate, mm-hmm. he's not going to be able to heal by the power of the, gl- of, of the glory of his divinity. I think, and th- this is where, uh, just real quick, th- this is where, um, the formulation of, uh, the, Communicatio, communicatio, communicatio dramatum, right? It's right. Latin. I'm sorry, I'm yeah, yeah. The idea is that uh, each, each, the, each properties of each nature contribute to the one person of Christ's actions. You know, so sometimes you see it says, well, you know, God's blood, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You got yeah, the suffered, blood of God, God and, died. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, acts. Well, yeah. And so, yeah, because. Because Christ was God and man, in a sense, you can say God died, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, right. yep. Um, and so I think that was Thomas Aquinas. That, that Wasn't that Aquinas that formulated that? Well, la- later that, on, that, that but, but it's coming from these controversies yeah. right yeah. now. It's coming from Cyril's hypostatic union. He notices that there yeah. is such a union that indeed yeah. there is a communication of, yeah. uh, of attributes. And then, and, and, go ahead. So I, I just want to throw in that whole that, that concept of um, so so to not have that would mm-hmm. be not to not to be able to to have this process of of healing of salvation of of glorification. Well, and and there is something. There's a, a, a contemporary work that I think is very clear on these issues for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Ware, mm-hmm. uh, what's the name of the book? Um, the it's, uh, humanity or know. Jesus the. The Man Christ Jesus. Yeah, The Man Christ Jesus. Excellent work, by the way. And one of the things that that he emphasizes concerning his humanity, the humanity of Christ, is that he was not only conceived of the Spirit and anointed by the Spirit in his public baptism and strengthened by the Spirit in his humanity to carry out everything that was necessary for our human savior. He does make a point to say that, uh, and I think you have that, that quote, uh, Jose, but he does make the point that the spirit adds nothing to the deity of Christ, but the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the spirit is what equips and empowers he, him in his humanity to carry out the functions of our Savior. Go ahead yeah, and read yeah. that quote. Yeah, what he says is, uh, he asked the question, what could the Spirit of God contribute to the deity of Christ? And the answer we must give is nothing. As God possesses every quality infinitely and nothing can be added to him. But then he asked the question, what could the Spirit of God contribute to the humanity of Christ? And the answer is everything of supernatural power and enablement that he and his humanity would lack. Yeah, it wasn't that... Jesus, humanity dependent on his deity. Right. It's his humanity dependent upon the spirit of God. He was the anointed. And we have to, we, we have to take seriously. Anointed both, by the spirit. Yes. We, we have to take seriously both natures relating to our salvation. That this is God condescending 
to humanity in human flesh. John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But in his dwelling among us, he became like us in every part except sin. So he is empowered by the Spirit, and he grows. I, I often preach uh, during Advent season from Luke 2.52, where, where Luke says, And Jesus increased in stature and in favor, and in wisdom, and in favor with both God and man. Jesus needed to be everything that we are supposed to be at every every stage of his life. And that's real obedience, and that is a real dependence upon the power of God. And, and so when Paul speaks in, in Philippians that he, even though he was equal with God, he didn't think equality with God in terms of certain privileges as something to be uh, grasped, but rather voluntarily poured himself into humanity so that he became a servant for us. And, and we can't lose sight of that so that our Savior is never unwilling mm. and he's always empowered in his humanity to be what we are supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, and I also think it affects his, what we just said uh, affects your uh, pneumatology too. Mm. Because is the spirit primarily someone to empower you to works? Right. Or is he primarily someone who connects you to how he empowered Jesus to work for you? Um, not, it's, not, it's not that the spirit doesn't work through you, but I'm saying what is the essential work of the spirit? Well, the essential work of the spirit is on the God man, right? He, Jesus' spirit-filled life is what the spirit connects us to in our life. As opposed to Jesus, I mean, our spirit-filled life is kind of like the, I guess, the gist of the spirit-filled life. No, no, we are connected to the spirit empowering Jesus for us in the spirit, you know, indwelling us and connecting us to the to what he did with the with the man, Jesus Christ. Make sense? Yeah, well, we, I think you touch on a, on a huge point here as it relates to our pneumatology, because one... John says that he received the Spirit without measure so that he could give the gift of the Spirit. We mm -hmm. see this also in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, Paul says uh, that he, uh, in saying that he uh, uh, descended or ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower region and he descended as the one who is who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things and then he gave so in other words Christ receives the spirit and it is he who blesses the church mm -hmm. with the gift of the spirit so he as our federal head is first empowered by the spirit for obedience he is driven by the spirit into the wilderness to meet uh, to, 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 for the temptation, uh, with, with Satan. He is empowered by the Spirit to do. In fact, he begins his public ministry in going into the synagogue, reads the scriptures from Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. So our understanding of the Spirit has to begin with the unique function of the Spirit in the ministry of our high priests and of our of our federal head. So that it's not just so, us 
So wouldn't you say that then that that's a that's another a block, a reformational block that uh, that we bring to bear to this conversation in the historical context? Because and that's where our confessions come in. Our confessions exactly. are more are, so are going to be more nuanced yeah. in in fleshing out these things. But it's in yeah. light of those doctrinal distinctives that are contained sure. in the ecumenical creeds. And even though the, those doctrinal distinctives have some sort of a, of a soteriological background that sure. differed from the one that, based upon our reformational yeah. insights, we yeah. now hold. As, as, as you guys were talking about Bruce Ware, I'm like, uh, that's in like Westminster Confession on the Mediator, that exact thing. Sure. Jesus yeah. is the spirit-empowered man. Yes, um, it's pretty old. And in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm just hey, yeah. there are there are Baptists that won't read it. Okay? <laughs> so, so the Spirit does not empower us so that we can be like Christ, but wow. the Spirit he, empowers us or anoints us so that we can share in the anointing of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Yeah, by which we have a mediator in union with yeah. His representative head. He's, for us. Yeah, he's connecting us with right. the spirit is connecting us with what he did with Christ's historic life. Yeah. That he's he's applying to us that which was accomplished through the Son of God in his life. And so it's it's less um it's more just kind of like the idea of, you know, Jesus gets oil poured on his head. Right. And it kind of then tri- trickles to his members. Yeah. And so it's more about yeah. The overflow of the head than the members themselves, and so it's just. And, it's and just, wouldn't that wouldn't that also inform the statements that Jesus makes in John's Gospel of him sending the Spirit, yeah. and yeah. even with with the Nicene Creed that says that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. Yeah, you know, and and that that kind of gives more substance and rounds out what's what's meant by that that yeah. that the spirit he sends the spirit why not just because he is the second person of the godhead but because he has fully been in in his humanity has been fully empowered by the spirit for accomplishing our salvation yeah that's what that's what's interesting that even like the word helper is it's 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 advocate and so the idea, another advocate, mm-hmm. is, or paraclete. Is, is, yeah. So the, the the idea is that Jesus, the advocacy of Jesus is is recapitulated in the soul of the Christian by the Spirit of God. Mm. So the that that advocacy that I have of Christ, my my towards me and my high priest, the Spirit of God is testifying to that advocacy in my soul, and it's not some other testimony. It's it's a re-echoing of that outside of me reality in Christ that the Spirit just makes internally real, um, Be, because it testifies of a finished yeah. uh, work yes. and yeah. not anointed priest, king, yeah. and uh, and king, right? But mm. um, so what we receive now is fruits of that finished work. Yes, it's yeah. not it's not conditionalities along the way, so that we may eventually then be glorified through it. And man. <sighs> I mean, wouldn't it be worth mentioning here that therefore the fullness of the work of the Spirit in the life of believers mm-hmm. is not just for the personal enjoyment of the believer, but in communicating to us the fullness of our salvation in Christ and therefore conforming us uh, to that, that, to, to his person 
and connecting us individually to the body for our nourishment and for the good of others. Yeah. Wow. I would just say also another pastoral implication, um, you know, if he did unite himself to humanity and in the person of the incarnate Son of God suffered and thirst and hungered and bled and died, then we don't have a high priest that can now sympathize yeah. with us. That's, that's, yeah. That's, in other words, he, he, if we negate that humanity and it's all yeah. about his divinity and the super glorious yes. uh, God in a bod, um, yeah. you know, I can't really connect very well. Yeah. You know, yeah. because he hasn't well, he, really connected with me. Right. Hebrews 2.17 mm-hmm. says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the yeah. people. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking, you know, uh, the, the, the the priestly role of Christ and uh, also the, uh, uh, you know, he, he is that mediator yeah. between God and man, who the, the man Jesus, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, if, if, if he was all... If he was just Jesus, divine God, you know, yeah. then where's the mediator? Yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. so so it's a very human aspect. You well, know, that mediates for us. There's much more we can say on that, but uh, hopefully these conversations have been helpful in recognizing the importance of us being clear and and biblically consistent in understanding the natures of Christ. And also so that we can get away from some of these sloppy little slogans that people have kind of bought into about the nature of Christ or either as humanity or as deity or trying to explain the Trinity and we end up sounding like our Arians or Jehovah's Witness. The Bible says something very particular about the eternal Son of God entering into time and space for our sake and for our salvation. It is not at any loss of his deity. That is the splendor of the gospel. Mm. That is the, that is the glory of the gospel that he laid aside certain privileges so that he for our sake could be offered up as an acceptable sacrifice, making us the righteousness of God. Mm. We'll pick up and, and what we'd like to do in our next session is to begin to, to connect these ecumenical creeds to the confessions that, that, that define our orthodoxy and talk a little more on the importance of orthodoxy uh, as we continue our discussion here at Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to being with you next time.